Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. brings us uh, to step five, uh, which is to confess to those who are affected uh, and to seek to make amends. Uh, And it's important to realize that confession comes after repentance. Uh, Because I think probably from the time that we were young, uh, it has been our tendency to get those things out of order. Uh, when I was growing up and I got in a fight with my brother and I, was, I had been reprimanded and realized that I had done wrong, uh, I was told to go repent or go confess to my brother and make things right. Uh, and it was once I had made things right with my brother, then everything was supposed to be good. And, and that aspect of repentance coming before confession wasn't really part of the equation. I don't think that was just my parents. I think that was probably most of us. But when we put confession ahead of repentance, then we begin to think being right with you is supposed to have all of the effects of being right with God. And it's making this right first that allows confession to have the impact that it ought to have. Now, uh, if you were going to summarize step five in just a few sentences, uh, this is what it would be. You will only be as free as you are honest. Privacy kills change and fuels sin. Transparency kills sin and fuels change. If we were going to, instead of nine steps, if we were going to do one step of change, it would just be honest. We will never be free from anything. We will never be more free than we are honest. The more we think we're going to do this by ourselves in private, that kills change and it fuels sin. As soon as we get to the point that we say, you know what, I can't do this in my strength, I can't do this by myself, I'm going to be honest with other people, I'm going to invite them into my life, I'm going to live transparently, that choice, more than anything else, begins to kill sin and fuel change. That's what we're after. Now, in terms of confession, uh, really two functions for what we want to see happen there. One We want to acknowledge uh, how what we've done has harmed relationships. It's very hard for me to have an unhealthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with you. Chances are that unhealthy relationship with food has spilled over to people in my life in some ways that, that I just need to make that right with them. And so I want to acknowledge that. But secondly, I want to begin to invite people uh, to become a part of my support network. Again, I really like the transparency of Cheryl Cruz. She says, Disclosure was the next step in my recovery process. I saw the eating disorder issue as this giant balloon. Little by little, as I told the truth to more people, I was deflating it. But I had allowed my world to become so small, so isolated, due in large part to my controlling need for self-protection that little room was left for anyone to get into my life. But now, desiring change in a closer relationship with God 
I had to get used to people again. I had to get used to knowing people and being known by them. And so here, as we, as we think about talking to somebody else, there's often some excuses that we use for not talking to people. And hopefully we've gotten comfortable with each other enough that we can use that word excuse without kind of bristling too much. And go, we all make excuses all the time. Whenever there's something that we need to do that we don't want to do, the first thing that we do is we make excuses. And the best thing that we can do with any excuse is to be honest about it, to acknowledge it, uh, to refute it, and ignore it. And so in order to do that, uh, we, we begin by kind of naming uh, what some of those excuses are. And the first one of those is, I should just be able to handle this by myself. Or if not by myself, just me and God, we got this. I would say that is the great lie. If you, just had, if you had to take one lie that is like the great lie that is the king of all the other lies, kind of like the great ring and Lord of the Rings, one ring to rule them all, that would be this lie. And the second one, I don't want people to know. I just, I'm afraid that people would think bad of me. So let me say it this way. A falsely positive reputation is a burden, not a blessing. A falsely positive reputation. When I create a picture of me that is not the real me, but it's some kind of polished, aggrandized version of me, and that's how you see me, I think that's what I want. It's not what I want. Then I have to live up with that, and I don't think you really know me or like me. You like this version of me that I've put out there. It's not a blessing at all. I'm ashamed. Costin and Grab, uh, talking about some of the uh, people that they've worked with. One of them gave the testimony. Uh, they said, I learned I could tell the truth to people and they would love me more, not less. So I reached out to others to help me. I realized that by not talking to anyone about my fear of the unknown, my deep-seated insecurities, or my desperate need to be in control, I was actually fueling and protecting my disordered eating. You know what I found? People really admire honesty. I mean... Most often when somebody says something that's vulnerable, that we recognize it takes courage to do that. We think, wow, I wish I could be more like that. Uh, it, is, it is a mark of character, uh, not an impingement on it. I don't want to be a burden to others. Now let's approach that one this way. Galatians 6.2 says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means if in the context of my friends, I never allow them to share some of my burdens, I impinge their ability to fulfill the law of Christ. This is something that we should be doing. I don't have anyone to call. Well, if that's the case, then that's where I would encourage you to get a part of one of our support groups, a part of our counseling ministry. Let's begin to create some context for community while you get plugged into a small group and build some relationships. And that's where you don't have to do this alone. As a church, we're more than happy to come alongside of you. People don't know what to say. Okay, that may be true, but we're not asking for answers. We're asking for support. 
And so they don't have to know everything that you need to say or do in order to say, I'll pray for you. I'll listen to you. Um, you know, when are the hard times? You can come over. And again, if, you, if you'd like for them to be a little more involved, that's why we set up these resources the way that we do, so that you can say, would you go through this study with me? It, by the time I realize I'm in trouble, it's too late. So let me give you this phrase. The more you talk, the sooner you'll talk. Once you get comfortable talking about whatever side of the struggle that you're on with this unhealthy relationship with food, once you de-shame that and you make that part of the conversation, the more you talk about it, the sooner you'll talk about it. But if you say, right now I just get past the point where I feel like I'm comfortable, we've got to talk about it more before we'll talk about it sooner. Um, What if I reach out and I still act out? You will. We're not saying from this point forward, we're going to bat a thousand. Um, I tried this before and it didn't work. Work doesn't mean never struggle again. Work means fighting my challenges God's way with God's people. And that's what we're after. I'm not sure I want to stop. Because that's kind of where we come. When it gets to the point of inviting somebody else into what's going on, that's the point where we decide, do, do I really want to do this? Uh, and we're kind of coming back to those whole levels of motivation. and that, it, Again, just be honest about that too. Um, you know, if, if you're at the point where you come to somebody and say, you know, I, I know I need to do this. I'm not sure I want to. At least that tells them where you're at. Uh, and so they don't try to do it for you. Uh, but be honest about that too. Uh, James 5.16 it says we are to confess our sin to one another. And this is one of those places that um, you know, we just need to realize that unconfessed sin is considered abnormal in the biblical depiction of the Christian life. And whenever we experience as normal what Scripture depicts as abnormal, we should expect a significant disruption in our life and relationships and emotions. And so all we're talking about at this step is living the way that Scripture calls us to live. And if in any other area of our life we were doing something that we knew that was the exact opposite of what Scripture called us to do, we would expect things to go wrong. In this one, we don't. Let me ask you a silly question for the purpose of asking you a serious question. Okay? So I, I'm warning label, this is a setup. Um... If I gave you the choice between wrestling an alligator, again, silly question. If I gave you the choice between wrestling an alligator in a swamp or in a tree, where you want to wrestle that critter? In the tree. It's obvious he's got nubby little legs and a long tail. If I'm in the swamp, he's got me. If I get him in the tree, he doesn't stand a chance. Okay? Here's the turn. If I gave you a choice between battling with your sin in privacy alone where nobody knows or in the context of a loving, supportive Christian community, where would you rather battle your sin? That's not nice, is it? It's so obvious that to fight it alone, that's like wrestling an alligator in the swamp. 
I don't stand a chance. In the context of people who know me, that is so much God's home turf for wrestling with my sin. But that's not where our instincts are. So hopefully that leads you to the point where you say, how do I effectively invite somebody into my struggle? So begin with those uh, that you trust. Um, kind of move out from most trusted relationships further out. Don't dwell on their anticipated reaction. Because if there's something that we don't want to do, and we role play it in our head, are we going to role play it nice or nasty? We're role playing it nasty every time. And, and we kind of know our friends wouldn't do that. That's why we like them. That's why we call them friends. That's why we trust them. But if I don't want to do it and I role play it in my head too much, this is going bad. Okay? Be honest, simple, and concise. I kind of give you a statement there. You can make it your own. Disclose where you're at at this point in time. This is step five of nine. We're middle of the journey. We're not telling them we've arrived. Give your friend a quality resource. Again, that's why we have this study. Will you go through this with me? Don't rely on just one person. When, you, when you're wrestling with something and you rely on just one person, you put more weight on them. Uh, when we make this more like a small group, then all of a sudden we care well for those who are caring for us and we make this a sustainable journey for everybody. Be patient with yourself and be encouraged by your level of courage. This is not the most fun step, but it is one of the most valuable. It is the one that I think you will look back on and just go, that made a huge difference. Now, what are some elements of confession? I uh, kind of give several things here, all starting with A. Uh, address everyone involved. Uh, Jenny Schaefer, uh, Ed, again, Ed, E-D, eating disorder. Um, she said, Ed wanted me to lie to everyone who was closest to me. You know, we just, when we do something we're not proud of, we want to hide it, it, anybody that we've been dishonest with, uh, we should be honest with. Avoid words like if, but, or maybe. Because at that point, we're inviting this person to debate with us. Um, and it's going to feel like they're arguing with us when we're asking for support. But part of that is because we kind of set them up for it. So if I say, if I lied to you about my purging and tried to hide it from you, I'm sorry. No, I just, I need to take the greater ownership step and say, yes, I, I lied about those things. Or, uh, I know I... Um, I shouldn't seek comfort in food, but that's just what people in my family do. Yet, again, it may say, I recognize that as an extension of my history, I have learned to do this, and I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to encourage me when you see me doing this. When I talk to you about something being hard, I want you to ask me about food. Just framing it in a way that we own and are more proactive than the way that the but make something deflective and passive. Maybe I should try to call you when uh, I can tell I'm down and temptation is going to be stronger. That, as a friend, that doesn't give me any sense of confidence that you're... I want you to tell me, I look, I am going to commit to doing this. Uh, admit specifically. It, um, one of the goals of confession is to allow you to be known more accurately. One of our goals in Christian community is to be fully known and fully loved. 
confession and acknowledging what it is that we've done uh, is part of that. Uh, acknowledge the hurt. Uh, you know, in your larger notebook, I give you kind of some concentric circles where you can look at uh, kind of the motive, it led to behaviors, and this is how it impacted people and changed the relationship. Just so you can begin to see some of those dominoes. Uh, Jantz talks about this a bit and says, eating disorders are emotional time bombs because all emotions are put on hold so that the person can concentrate solely on food. Uh, they also act as time bomb in relationships. Other people cease to be as important as the relationship with food. Food becomes a secret friend or hated enemy uh, that no one else uh, can understand. And again, we just, how are the ways that, that my relationship with food has led me to be defensive? It's led me not to be as open or disclosing uh, in my relationships. Accept uh, the consequences. Uh, usually this is, you should think of this as liberating, uh, not punitive. You know, when your friend offers to say, look, this is something I'm willing to do, or if, um, you know, it, whatever they're doing to help, that is liberating, not punitive. Uh, alter your behavior. That's what we're going to get to in steps six and seven. Uh, ask for forgiveness and allow time. Uh, again, the, the greater the offense, the more the trust may be broken and allowing for time. If the level of offense is relatively minor, uh, then allowing for time is usually uh, less, uh, less pertinent there. Uh, and then preparing for the conversation, uh, especially if for you talking about this in a way where you can uh, own what has happened, uh, if you think that would be hard for you, uh, then kind of give you a confession guide here uh, that uh, it allows you uh, to write out what it is that you want to say. Um, you know, as you think about that, uh, in many ways, this is what the entire book of Philemon is. Uh, the book of Philemon is a confession guide. It is a, it is a pre-thought conversation where Onesimus had run away. Uh, he had come to faith. He recognized he needed to go back to Philemon. And, and this is the letter that Paul sent him with uh, to kind of help him in that conversation. And so uh, we see in that uh, the value of confession. 